the Flight Cast, a place where opinions aren't right or wrong, and where we can agree or disagree about movies, TV, and other assorted media because it's all subjective. My name is Ray, thank you so much for joining me, and I have chosen violence on Twitter, my friends. I don't normally... No, who am I kidding? I was just about... I was about to lie to you and say that I don't normally choose violence. Oh no, I choose violence a lot. Because it's Twitter. It is what it is, right? And I don't have an issue, like I said, we can agree to disagree. If people want to disagree with any of my opinions, they're more than welcome to. We can have a conversation about it. There's just no right and wrong with respect to our opinions. But you know how you know they'll put up those posts on Twitter. Somebody will post an image of, you know, it's this one. I don't know what animated movie this is. Tangled or whatever this is, but it's a dude who's just sitting with his arms folded. And he's got this, you know, whatever look on his face. And he's got like what, 10, 20 swords being pointed at him, like, oh, he, he said something that we didn't like, and I don't know, like, I I haven't seen the movie, I'm guessing it's Tangled, I don't know for sure, but at any rate, you know how people will post that image and they'll be like, okay, what opinion do you have about a particular thing that gets this reaction, right? And so the Superman on film account, which again, I haven't confirmed that this is Mario Robles, I'm pretty sure it is, uh, but the Superman on film account posted that image with this question, they said, What's your DCEU opinion that makes your mentions look like this, right? So, basically, what's the opinion that you have on the DCEU that just brings all the knives out? And, you know, I've seen some, you know, like an Aquaman is the worst DCEU film and it's no contest. Yeah, I'm going to respectfully disagree with that one, Justin Bellman. Uh, but another one, a mutual said, or not a mutual, but a, another individual said, Man of Steel is the greatest Superman movie to this day. Now, that one I would agree with, and those are the quote-tweeted ones, with respect to the original Superman on film tweet. I decided that I was going to be in a inflammatory mode, I suppose. I guess, I guess one could call it inflammatory. I guarantee that somebody's going to be like, oh, you're picking a fight. Well, it's Twitter. It's a cesspool. Who gives a shit? I quote-tweeted a very honest opinion with this, that, that I know, I mean, it's arguably the one that, I mean, people would not, my mentions would not, that people won't bring knives to this, they'll bring guns and bombs to this, that's how explosive this particular opinion is, I quote tweeted Superman on film, and I said that my DCEU opinion that makes my mentions look like that is as follows, Zack Snyder's Justice League is a better film than all of the Avengers movies for several reasons. And then I added, argue with a mirror because that person cares more about your disagreement than I do. Hashtag, it's all subjective. Now, I already have one individual that has commented on this and said, you know, maybe I'm missing something, but why would you post this when you don't want anyone to argue back? To which I actually decided to deign this person with a response. I said, I never said you couldn't argue back, son. I just said, I don't care. You're welcome to waste your time if you like. And I gave him the... Shrug emoji. And the beauty of this is that, you know, about a year or so ago, Stephen Colbert at Screen Rant, he gave me the trick. He gave me the tools. There is a, a setting, a content setting that allows you to eliminate notifications from anyone that you don't follow, which means that if some rando sees your public tweet and decides that they're going to quote tweet you into oblivion to all of their toxic ass followers or if they're going to continuously respond bomb you into submission in your mentions, you don't have to see it because if they don't follow you or if you don't follow them rather, right? It has nothing to do with they follow you or not. Even if, if you do not follow them, 
then their shit will be hidden and you don't have to see it. Now this on occasion, this has you know caused a few issues. Edward, if you're listening, this might be what this setting might be what caused the issue with respect to why I wasn't seeing some of your tweets. I don't know why because we're mutuals. Like I should still see mutuals tweets, and I still do see mutuals tweets all the time, and I also see tweets of those who follow me. But this particular setting, I mean, it has avoided so much bullshit for me to see. You know, especially from the toxics, right? Remember I said I I don't block anymore. I only mute because if the toxics are going to quote tweet me and spread my shit far and wide across Twitter so that somebody else that hates them can look at my account and go, oh, hey, he I this guy gets it. I agree with what he's saying. Let me follow his account. Then by all means, please promote my shit as you think you're trying to, you know, talk me down or trash talk me or whatever. I will never see your bullshit. And even if I do see your bullshit, it's because I've chosen to see it. Like you can click on it and like, look exactly at what they read. Like, I can read what this dude responded with. Here, you know what? Just for shits and giggles, what did he say? Mr. Eight Followers. He says, oh, <laughs> this is great. He says, I don't get why you use sun there, but sure, if it makes you feel better, I guess. So clearly this individual has never followed my account and is not aware of my exploits. He just decided to randomly comment on an opinion that he disagrees with and thought that I was telling him he could not argue with me. Oh, no. Argue with me to your heart's content. And I. this is one of those cases where I kind of hope the toxics see this. Because when I ignore them and don't give them the time of day and, and don't allow them to bait me with any of their bullshit, <laughs> it's going to be even more fun because their attention will be denied. Sometimes it's fun to play games on Twitter. Sometimes it is. Because Twitter is a cesspool anyway. Twitter is not a place to be taken 100% seriously. It just isn't. And... I used to take it a lot more seriously back in the day, even when I first started the flight cast. I don't take it nearly as seriously as I do now. I know who I'm talking to. I know the audience and, and those of you that pay attention to what I say and, you know, listen to what I say and are curious about what I say. And that's that. I offer my opinions. And if somebody wishes to disagree with my opinion that Zack Snyder's Justice League is a better film than the Avengers, Avengers Age of Ultron, Avengers Infinity War, and Avengers Endgame, for several reasons... They are more than willing, they are more than capable, they, they are more than open to disagree with me on that. I'm not terribly interested in having that argument, so they can post all their disagreements all they like, I don't really care to, you know, dignify them with a response, because I, I don't care nearly as much as they do, and they can't tell me that they don't care because they're responding to me. It's a nice little vicious cycle that many of us craft on Twitter a lot of times, and so that's how I start this particular episode, and it's fitting, because... I have the return of DC doom and gloom to talk about. I talked about this a little bit already on Friday Flight over at Patreon. But yeah, there was a couple of DC doom and gloom stories that came out with this past week. In the midst of the apparent Marvel doom and gloom that is still ongoing, apparently. But I want to talk about here today for, for this particular weekend show. And then, of course, another look at James Gunn's Twitter account that we're going to change up a little bit and, and not be so long-winded and heavy-handed with respect to the more interesting tweets that come across his account. But of course, as always, before getting into the subject matter at hand, reminding everybody here that this show and my blog post can be found at theflightcast.com or wherever you get your podcast, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, Stitcher, all that good stuff. Overcast, which I have gone back to using in the last couple of months, it's a really good podcatcher app that I thoroughly enjoy and consider to be extremely convenient. And then, of course, thank you to all of the subscribers to Patreon.com slash TheFlightCast. Greatly, 
Greatly appreciate your support. Hope that you've been enjoying the bonus content. Friday Flight has returned. That is my Friday alcohol-fueled, uncensored preview of exactly what I'm talking about on the main show. I did an episode. The, the return episode was my uncensored, swear-filled, ranty review of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania where I was staunchly defending it against the MCU diehards and the critics that apparently hate it for whatever reason and continue to hate it for whatever reason. Uh, this episode, this week's Friday Flight, is covering all the DC doom and gloom stuff that I'm about to talk about here on this main show. Again, in uncensored, ranty, alcohol-fueled form because the other half of Flight, Friday Flight, is the flight of beer that I'm consuming when I do those particular episodes. Also, stay tuned. We are just, what, two and a half, three weeks away from the Oscars, which I will not be watching personally. However, I am going to partake in the Best Picture nominees, and I'm going to give my thoughts on Flight Review. That will be making a comeback. The first episode of this that I've been teasing for the past couple of weeks, really the past couple of months, is my review of Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, which has been nominated for multiple Oscars, and I am rooting for it in every category except Best Supporting Actress, because I want that to go to Angela Bassett, personally. Again, I will not be watching the clown show that the Academy Awards has now become, and I don't just say that because of all the slap nonsense last year, I say that because of the lowest common denominator comedic approaches, the, the Comedy Central roast approach that the Academy Awards and Disney, who owns ABC, have been taking for the past 10 years to try and get the regular working class average individual who only has watched Top Gun Maverick or Avatar The Way of Water, if they've watched any Best Picture nominees from this year at all, to try and watch their award show. It's stupid, it's ridiculous, it's lost a lot of its class over the last 10 plus years, unfortunately, trying to appeal to an audience that couldn't give less than two shits about it. So I won't be watching the show, but I will be rooting for Angela Bassett, I will be rooting for Michelle Yeoh, I will be rooting for Kihi Kwan and others, to have their moment in the sun, because I do appreciate when people who are parts of the industry actually do get the recognition that I feel subjectively that they deserve. And so I will be taking part in watching those Oscar films, those Best Picture-nominated films, for Flight Review at patreon.com slash theflightcast. I will also be doing a deep dive into some comics per the homework assignments that Scott from DC Squadcast over at Squadcast Media has given me for the past few years, now reinforced by James Gunn himself, who is trying to get all of us to read the comics as we prepare for DCU Chapter 1 Gods and Monsters, which will be kicking off here within the next couple of years, for sure. I'll be partaking in reviews of that on Flight Report with the assistance of the DC Universe Infinite app, of course. So stay tuned for that and a number of other conversations, flight speed, the episode where I record conversations and rants, you know, on my way to work in my car uh, that that launched a couple of weeks ago, uh, flight chat, where I just talk about random topics here and there with respect to fandoms and all of our favorite franchises for sure. All that and more content coming down the pipe at patreon.com slash the Thank you to those of you who are members. If you wish to become a member of patreon.com slash the just go there and sign up to become a flight officer. It is eight bucks a month. I promise you there is tons of entertaining, not safe for work content that I do not censor myself on that I think is hilarious and I think is awesome. And I hope that you think so as well. I hope that you enjoy it too, because 
I could not do this without you guys. I could not do this without this audience. And it, it is, it's still humbling to know that there is anybody out there that is that intent on listening to me rant and rave and ramble on and pontificate about all the geeky stuff and nerd franchises that we all hold so near and dear close to our hearts for sure. So thank you so much for all of your support. And I hope that you continue to enjoy the bonus content. So you all remember how last week was like seriously the twilight zone for me with respect to my relationship with the Marvel cinematic universe and Marvel studios in general, because seriously, like with that Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania review, I turned into a flat out MCU shill, didn't I? Like, I was openly defending, and I still am defending that movie, from the die-hard MCU fans and the critics who still consider it to be the worst Marvel Cinematic Universe film ever made, and I do not understand how a rational individual could have watched Thor Love and Thunder and still have that opinion about Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, but of course it is all subjective. But it was as though the universe decided, hey, you know what, Ray? We gave you a little bit of a dance into the Twilight Zone last week. Now we're going to bring you back down to Earth and throw you right back into your wheelhouse. Because here comes Scooper Madness with some DC doom and gloom. And as I was saying on Friday Flight on Patreon, this is the type of DC doom and gloom that James Gunn can't readily get on Twitter and just immediately debunk. He can't, unfortunately, because this is beyond his purview. He can't call people liars. He can't necessarily call bullshit on some of this stuff. And what we're talking about in particular here is test screenings, specifically the test screening for Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. Reports are, if Scooper Madness would have you believe this, that it went horribly. In fact, you know what? Let's pull up Viewer Anon here. And Viewer Anon is one of the tenets of Scooper Madness that I am not, like, I won't say that I am as contentious with him as people like John Campia or Grace Randolph or that moron over at Geeks Worldwide, right? Casey Walsh. I'm not as contentious with him as I am with them. However, I'm not a fan and I I have him muted as well as I do the others because Scoopers pose no logistical purpose other than to either lie to you or at worst give you spoilers before you see a movie. And that's bullshit. I, I don't see any reason, any logistical purpose, there's nothing of value that Scooper Madness adds to the conversation whatsoever. But unfortunately, so many people, especially on social media and within the fandom, hang on their every word because they may or may not know things, they may or may not have sources that are, you know, a bit more solid than their father's brother's nephew's cousin's former roommate that works at Warner Brothers Discovery. But either way, like, too much attention is paid to that, and of course it gets a discussion going among my mutuals and among you guys on Twitter, and I guess it started on the 19th, February 19th, last week, with this particular Reddit post from Viewer Anon, where he said, I'll be honest, we're half a dozen test screenings in for Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, and it's not looking great. I've consistently heard over the last half year or so that it's boring, not as good as the first, and potentially one of the worst DCEU movies. So, of course, the regurgitators, you know, ran with that and said, oh, they're saying that Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom is one of the worst, is the worst DCEU movie of all time. And, of course, Viewernon came out on his Twitter account and said, no, that's not what I said. And it's like, all right, good. You clarified that that wasn't what you said. But here's my issue with this whole test screening business. If you were not part of the test screening, I've said this before and I will reiterate, if you were not part of the test screening yourself, it is meaningless what a test screening may or may not have done. You know, the report allegedly, 
people walked out of the theater. And I, if you were to believe what Scooper Madness is telling you, people walked out of the theater as they have been watching this test screening. There is talk that, you know, the, the, the politics of the film are too heavy handed or at least they rub the audience the wrong way. You know, with respect to the environmental politics that Jason Momoa has told us himself, he is very proud of committing to for this second film, right? So the, the, there's talk about that. And then the other rumor is that James Wan allegedly may have stepped away from the reshoot process and that it is now all in the hands of Jason Momoa and Peter Safran and others with respect to how they're retooling this and how they're going to fix it. But, you know, it. This goes up like wildfire, and you know th- this is not the first time that we've had to deal with this. And I'm going to reference a, a, a podcast fellow, a, a podcast brethren, Holy Batcast. I'm going to reference them because Holy Batcast has been a mutual for a number of years. This goes back to you know the the early DC TV Squadcast days, and Hollywood Handle was the the the, the other another Scooper Madness outfit that I had never heard of until recently. That. You know, they they cited smallscreen.co.uk, which is not a good source at all. Like, like they, that's like the we've got this covered UK source essentially for people who remember how bullshit we've got this covered was and and probably still is. I don't know what they're doing now, but they were the ones that said Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom is reported to have had test screenings and reactions have people calling it the worst DCEU movie ever. And holy Batcast, I loved their tweet of this, their quote tweet because and I retweeted it after liking it. They said, okay, cool. And they posted a screenshot from a Google search, and it IMD report at IMDb uh, comic book movie said from January seventeenth, twenty seventeen. New report claims that Wonder Woman is a discombobulated mess. Yes, remember that? Remember that five six years ago before the fir- we're talking about the first Wonder Woman movie, okay? Not nineteen eighty four. The first Wonder Woman movie. Remember, in the wake of the BVS bullshit, in the wake of what they did to Studio Squad and how they absolutely, you know, pulled the rug out from under David Ayer and made him reshoot a bunch of shit, you know, and he played the good little soldier and all that stuff that led to hashtag release the Ayer cut. In the midst of all of that chaos that started the bullshit with the past regimes and DC films in perspective here. They started giving us articles telling us that Wonder Woman was a discombobulated mess, and you know the, there's a there's problems here, there's problems there. Patty Jenkins doesn't know what she's doing, and you know, remember, Patty even responded to that report, if I'm not mistaken, right? Somebody on set, you know, made a comment or wrote a letter or posted it somewhere on a message board. I forget this is like five or six years ago, but remember when that was a big, huge headline about how horrible and discombobulated that movie was, and then what happened when it released. What type of response did the general audience and did the fans give it when it released? Oh, nothing other than the tune of $800 plus million at the box office and also one of the longest-running shared cinematic universe comic book films in theaters. I mean, this was a movie that pushed through. It was released before the fifth Transformers movie, The Last Night. Whatever people think of the Transformers franchise, they make money. They were still making money with the Bayformers movies back in the day. Extinction, the fourth film, had just made a billion dollars, right? The Last Night did not do nearly as well, and that was when they started retooling and did the Bumblebee and the other stuff that I still haven't watched yet. But at any rate, Wonder Woman, the first Wonder Woman film, powered through that. It also weathered Spider-Man Homecoming's release later that July and stayed in theaters even after Spider-Man Homecoming released, right? Like, that was the thing. Like, Wonder Woman performed extremely well. It is one of the highest earners 
for the DCEU by far. It's not even close, right? Like it was just south of BVS money. BVS, $873.3 million, of course. Wonder Woman was about 821 or so, right? And that was a movie that was reported to be a discombobulated mess from insiders at Warner Brothers at the time. So fie on these test screening reports about Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. Seriously, what, the, what do they mean? They don't mean shit to you. They don't mean shit to me either. And this goes both ways. So for people that are like, well, wait a minute, Ray, you've been talking about how The Flash has reportedly gotten incredible test screenings. Yes, those don't mean shit either, truthfully. Look, the bottom line is, regardless of how good or bad these test screenings are, we could go and watch these movies, right? We can go and watch The Flash and hate it. It is entirely possible that on June 16th, in fact, I would venture to guess, among our circles, there's going to be at least a few people that even, you know, they're hyped for The Flash now, they love the trailer, they're excited about Keaton coming back, whatever, right? You know, they're going to see that movie. There's going to be at least a handful of people that see that movie and are disappointed and hate it. And they're going to be like, oh, it's this and it's, or, or oh, it's that. And they might get shouted down. They might very well be the very vocal minority, you know, compared to the rest of us that in, that will end up enjoying it and the general audience that may end up enjoying it, right? That may very well happen. But the fact of the matter is, regardless of how good those test screenings are or not, they do not encompass the entirety of the general audience. It is still very subjective. It is still a group of people that you don't know more than likely, again, unless it's you, unless you're part of the test screening, it's a group of people that you don't know that don't necessarily have the same worldviews, don't necessarily live the same lives as you or have the same perspectives on comic book movies as you do that are being brought in from the streets and, you know, the the, the test screening proceed. If you want to look, you want to take a look at how bullshit and unscientific, non-scientific the test screening procedure is, just go find the video that David Sandberg posted about the test screening process for the first Shazam movie, and you will see just how little attention you should be paying to any of this shit. Seriously, it does not matter. It is ridiculous. But unfortunately, studios are still ordering it, right? They're, they're all still doing it. And they, they're all doing it very different ways, right? We talked about this on Vodka Stream last night. And Dave, the film junkie, was bringing up about how, you know, on the Marvel side, Feige apparently... He only screens his movies for like close family and friends, right? Like that, that those are his test screenings. And to me, you know, I hope that that's a policy that James Gunn and Peter Safran do employ for DCU films. I really do it because he's got enough peers and there's, there's more than enough people that he can show that movie to. Now, granted, you gotta, you know, get some wins under your belt. Like I'm sure Feige has gotten, Feige has multiple wins under his belt over the last 15 plus years that he's able to get away with doing test screenings for people that are in his closest inner circle to keep it compartmentalized, right? And and not so that it doesn't get out there to the audience and Scooper Madness can't jump on bullshit like they are with this. And I hope that DC Studios gets to that point because this negative buzz, is it's just attention whoring. It's all it is. It's attention whoring and, hey, look at us. You know, we, we can't go out there and bold-faced lie to you about things that we hear because otherwise James Gunn will smack our hands back, as he's done a number of times already. So what we can still do is, if we hear anything about these test screenings, then we can throw that out there and that, that'll make you pay attention to us. That'll make you, you know, pay attention to our narratives and, and, and we'll still be useful to you again. No, Scooper Madness is useless. 
more than useless. They do nothing but foster drama, and again, at best, they lie to you. At worst, they spoil shit for you. And they're not necessarily spoiling anything here, but they are trying to poison the well. They are trying to put people, you know, worry and doubt in fans' minds. Oh no, what's happened, right? And all manner of speculation are, right? Oh, are they meddling with James Wan? Does James Wan, I think, quite honestly, if there's any truth to this bullshit whatsoever, I think that the more likely scenario is that James Wan and Jason Momoa were given more freedom. And perhaps the more freedom hasn't necessarily worked out to the tune of the test audiences. That is entirely possible because we've you know, I've talked before here and on Squadcast Media and other places about, you know, that there is something to be said for, you know, reining a director in from a, you know, in a creative sense with respect to how the movie is received by an audience. The full creative freedom does not always work. Hey, case in point. Did it completely work for people with Batman Returns when Burton went full Burton on the sequel to Batman 89? No, it did not. Did it totally work for Guardians fans? You know, when James Gunn went full, you know, he, he launched into full James Gunn mode with, with all the humor and everything else. You know, the, the stereotypical stuff that people are still afraid he's going to flood Superman with in a couple of years, right? When he did that for Guardians of the Galaxy 2, did it work? Well, it, it worked financially. And it worked among the critics and, you know, the, the, the general audience in the box office, but it does not always work for everyone. But that's the ultimate point here, guys, is don't make so much out of these test screenings unless you were part of that test screening. Because how somebody else feels about a particular film in a test screening has should have no bearing on how you feel about seeing a movie. And another point that Dave brought up that is a very valid point on Vodka Stream is... You know, when you're showing the test screenings for these movies, you know, it, you're talking about showing them a version of the movie that is still in the early stages. There's a ton of unfinished visual effects. You're not seeing a complete film in a test screening. You're seeing a lot of previs. You're seeing a lot of, you know, robotic shit, you know, like the, the, the early visual effects, you know, unfinished work. This movie is not going to release until Christmas of this year. That is still just over nine months away from where we're at right now on the calendar, right? We are so far away from seeing Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom in finished form. The test audiences are not even close to seeing it in finished form and they're rendering a judgment for it. So there is no reason whatsoever for us to give this much credence to a test screening. Again, good or bad. So you can apply this logic to The Flash as well. I've brought up the reason I brought up the Flash's test screenings is because of how bullish Warner Brothers has been with respect to the Flash's success. They've been so bullish on the Flash and like they, they've been so big on the Flash is going to be a, a massive success for them that they're screening it six weeks early at CinemaCon. I do not know, just as an aside here, I don't know what I'm going to do for six weeks on Twitter because there's no way that spoilers are going to avoid the social media landscape. Someone's going to say something. Even if everybody at CinemaCon is sworn to secrecy, there's going to be shit out there. It's going to be a minefield. There's no way. There's too many eyeballs. There's too much attention. There's too much of a possibility for shit to get spoiled. Six weeks in advance, a full month and a half. I mean, this is an amazing amount of confidence that Warner Brothers Discovery is showing in this particular film. It's the polar opposite of what they're doing, apparently, with respect to Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. Because it's also been brought up by Film Junkie and others that James Gunn hasn't said much about it. Now, I don't think he's said much about Shazam! Fear of the Gods or about Blue Beetle either. In fact, he has said the most out of the four movies 
releasing this year, he has said the most about The Flash, right? And they all have. Now David Zaslav has seen it. And he's all big about, like, it's a wow movie, essentially, if you're, you know, if you're to believe what he says about it, right? But they're not saying a whole lot about Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. It's just kind of there. And, and, and I don't know. I mean, we can speculate all the live long day, but I just don't be afraid. Don't be fearful. I, I know a lot of you are not fearful because I saw a number of you comment uh it's still a james wan movie uh, james wan doesn't miss i'm not worried that type of deal right but again there are people that are wor- that worry he's been meddled with which i don't buy that shit at all because i really don't think that the previous regime did meddle with him especially since he made a billion dollar earner the highest grossing dc movie of all time to date at this point no i i don't f- believe that he was meddled at all i believe he had he had and has autonomy you know, how much of it he has going to this going forward with respect to reshoots. And if this test screening shit is actually true, I don't know. That remains to be seen. But either way, I'm not putting a lot of faith in it. I'm not because it, it is what it is. I, I wasn't part of the test screening, so I can't confirm or deny any of this shit. So, you know, whatever. Still going to see the movie. We'll see how it goes. Hopefully, you know, if there is any truth to this and they get it figured out. And if there's no truth to this, then hopefully they don't allow it to affect their process of actually finishing the film too much by the time we see it in December. So it's really all I have to say with respect to that first piece of doom and gloom for this week for DC Studios. But that wasn't the only return of DC doom and gloom this week. Trade Madness decided to get in on Scooper Madness's attention whoring and came out with this story, and I'll go with the Deadline version because this was reported by multiple outlets. But Deadline put out a story, uh, Anthony D'Alessandro, that came out on the 23rd. So this is what, Wednesday? Yeah, Wednesday or Thursday. Or Thursday, pardon me. Uh, Shazam! Fury of the Gods eyeing a $35 million box office opening, but it's still early. Warner Brothers' new line DC sequel Shazam! Fury of the Gods hit early tracking Thursday and surprised many with a low projection of $35 million, which is under the first installment's $53.5 million opening in 2019. Realize it's still early and Warner Brothers hasn't fully fire-breathed its marketing campaign yet. The odd thing is that tracking was comping the sequel to a number of big openers, including Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness, Thor Love and Thunder, the first Shazam!, and Black Adam, all debuted higher than Shazam 2's projection. The first trailer for Shazam Fear of the Gods was unveiled at San Diego Comic-Con last summer. It talks about how the release date got moved, because originally it was going up against Avatar The Way of Water, and they push it to March 17th, which is when it's coming out. All right, whatever. Okay, so this comes out, and, you know, Boris Kitt posted it out there, and and Boris Kitt actually, you know, he, he tweets. He's very active on Twitter. And when this story came out, he actually posted on Twitter, with three weeks to go, will Warner Brothers marketing kick into high gear or will it let this one be what it will be? And I quote tweeted him and I said, the latter, and it shouldn't surprise anyone paying attention. It's abundantly clear that The Flash is the crown jewel of the four DC movies this year in Warner Brothers Discovery and DC Studios' eyes. And if we're being honest, Shazam has always been the odd one out here, fair or not. And that's the funny thing is I feel like a lot of people on social media within the fandom don't want to be honest about this because all manner of excuses has been thrown out there for the last couple of days with respect to this low tracking. Now, Deadline said 35 million. I think Hollywood Reporter and others were saying somewhere between 43 and 52 million, which still puts it lower than the first Shazam movie and and Black Adam and, you know, the the headline of lowest opening for a DCEU film ever, which 
first of all, the funny part about that is now all of a sudden DCEU is an acronym. The trade madness and scooper madness is all too happy to use for their stories. You know, for the past six, seven years, it was like pulling teeth trying to get them to even acknowledge that it was being called the DC extended universe by creatives, right? By the, you know, the, the, the actors, by the directors, whoever it was, right? Cause the studio would never say it, right? You could never get Walter Hamada or Anne Sarnoff or Toby Emmerich to ever utter that acronym whatsoever. And that no official marketing was ever put out for that. But now that James Gunn and Peter Safran have introduced us to the next wave, the DCU. Now that they've actually used that phrase, now it's okay to say DCEU because this is the distinguisher. This is the dividing line. It's like that little barrier, that little thing that they put you know, on the conveyor belt of the grocery store to separate your order from the other person ahead of you's order or the other person behind you's order, whatever it is, right? Now it's okay to use this acronym. Get the hell out of here with that bullshit. That's just, that is the first hilarious thing about this. But the second hilarious thing, is all manner of excuses that have been thrown out there by so many people on social media, you know, blaming this on The Rock, blaming this on uncertainty about Shazam's future in the DCU, blaming this on Zachary Levi's potentially anti-vax sentiment and some of the other questionable shit that he's been engaged in. All right, look, here's the deal. First of all, The Rock thing makes no sense to me whatsoever. How are you blaming The Rock? for Shazam tracking to have a low opening weekend. What, what, what is, how does that even compute? Well, he should have connected Black Adam to Shazam. Black Adam is Shazam's arch nemesis. And he's absolutely hurt the gross of that movie because he won't connect it. He's too busy trying to set up this mythical battle with Superman that's never going to happen. And he lied to us. He said he was a fan of the character. And it, yes, he manipulated you for business purposes. Because he's a businessman at the end of the day. And that's what businessmen in Hollywood do. Manipulate. But let's be clear here. The fact that he decided not to connect Black Adam to Shazam directly has absolutely no logistical bearing on Shazam's tracking for a low opening weekend. And the funny thing about this is you really think that after Black Adam flopped that the rock being attached to comic book movie properties at this point in time is a boost. You really believe that would have helped Shazam if he had any impact on it at all. Let's be clear here. The rock might, and I do mean might have been able to help Shazam if black Adam was connected to it. However, that would still require his black Adam movie to have not failed to have not bombed last year at the box office. And it did. Unfortunately, with, when you look at the budget and when you look at the amount of money that it made and when you look at, you know, what ended up happening in terms of him and Seven Bucks losing the battle to take control of DC Studios, you know, that's all she wrote, right? We don't need to rehash that. We've certainly rehashed that many times in here and, and on Vodka Stream and in many other places. But no, The Rock most certainly does not hurt Shazam. That, that has nothing to do with anything. It, because, again, the general audience does not care about the fact that he is Shazam's arch nemesis. They do not care. They, they, if they even know that that is the case, right? You know, okay, if they saw Black Adam, they were one of the people that actually saw Black Adam. Then they heard him say the name Shazam, and they went, oh, well, okay, maybe the powers work the same way. Maybe they were thinking that. Or maybe they went, hmm, okay, well, there. I know there's a Shazam movie. Let me go watch that on TNT because... One of the smarter things the previous regime did was they aired Shazam on TNT and I think TBS the same weekend that Black Adam came out so that people could be like, oh, okay, now I get it. But that's it, right? 
this idea that the general audience cares as much about connectivity and continuity and accuracy to the source material as you do is has been a fallacy and it, it's been a falsity for a long time now. The general audience does not care about that. So your argument, if you're somebody that believes that Black Adam has torpedoed Shazam's opening weekend, you're you're living in a fantasy land. You're li- that is a fandom argument. That is an argument coming from the perspective of someone who believes that they are a louder voice than the 90 to 95% of people who don't know or care that Black Adam is Shazam's nemesis. Has nothing to do with that whatsoever. No, not at all. No, the, the truth is, and it, it doesn't have anything to do with the connectivity argument either, right? When you talk about, well, it's tracking low because people don't care about that movie. Really, is The Flash going to track low? What's its excuse, Right. How about Blue Beetle or Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom? I mean, we'll see with respect to tracking on those movies. But, oh, so Shazam is the only one? No, it, it, if you're going to give me the nobody cares about the four DC movies this year, they're just waiting for the start of the DCU, you can't just apply it to Shazam and not apply it to the other three. You have to apply it to all four if you're going to roll with that logic. Or, or you might actually have to grow up and admit that perhaps... There are individual factors with each of these movies that DC Studios has to wait on before they can decide what they're going to do with the future of any of these characters going forward, right? Which is what I've been telling the hard reboot crowd for weeks now, for for longer than that, to be honest with you. The fact of the matter is, the truth of the situation, to all of you who are diehard Shazam fans, and I question how many of you were diehard Shazam fans before 2019, but let's say you were, all right, fine. I'll take you at your word. The fact of the matter is Shazam is not nearly as important to the general audience and to the audience at large as other DC characters, period. That may or may not be tough for you to hear if you're a fan of the first Shazam movie or if you are a fan of the Shazam character, but that's the bottom line. From the beginning, you know, the, the, the Shazam movie, unfortunately, that, that was the first project that Walter Hamada greenlit under his reign at DC Films, right? Aquaman does not count. Aquaman, not only, I mean, yes, it's a billion dollars that was earned while he was in charge of DC Films, but that movie was not only greenlit before he was in charge, it was fully filmed and in post-production for 13 months, starting from before he was hired in as head, as promoted rather, as head of DC Films in January 2018. So Aquaman and that billion dollars, the one billion really doesn't count under Hamada's watch as far as projects that he greenlit. Only billion-dollar project that was greenlit on Walter Hamada's watch that he could actually take credit for may or may not be Joker, right? And that was the one where he tried to hedge his bets and, you know, was concerned about it being rated R and tried to pull back on that. Remember that, right? So Walter Hamada's first greenlit film out of the gate for his realm at DC Studios was Shazam. Right, which he knew about that project because it was from New Line. He and Peter Safran were involved in that from the beginning. Okay, fine. And then after that, Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn, then Wonder Woman 1984, then The Suicide Squad, which is what brought James Gunn aboard, and then Matt Reeves' The Batman. Now, here's the thing. I enjoy all of these movies for what they are worth, right? I enjoy... Birds of Prey and the Fantabulous Emancipation of One Harley Quinn quite a bit. It's one of my favorite of those types of films, right? And of course I love the Batman. I even like decent parts of Wonder Woman 1984. You know, I I don't like it on on the whole, right? It's not the greatest movie. It's definitely lower on my DCEU list. It would be at the bottom of my DCEU list if it was not for Studio Squad, for sure, right? But there's still parts of it that I enjoy, and I most certainly did enjoy Shazam, 
the first time I saw it, and I certainly enjoy the Suicide Squad. James Gunn's the Suicide Squad. But the fact of the matter is that as much as I enjoy all or parts of these movies under Walter Hamada's reign at DC Films, there was no plan. It was a non-plan. Anybody that keeps telling me that... I literally did an episode about a year or so ago that said there is no Hamadaverse, only Snyderverse. There is no such thing as the Walter Hamadaverse. And people that have used that phrase, I don't get where that they're coming from. Walter Hamada created nothing. I've said this many times. He created nothing. He started nothing. He wrote nothing. He was a facilitator, right? And a bad one at that. There was no plan for where he was going with any of these DC movies whatsoever. He didn't have a direction. He didn't have an endgame. I don't give a shit what his apologist started to try and say last year, right before he got broomed, you know, before he and Sarnoff and Emmerich were shown the door by Zaslav and company. Before all that happened, I don't want to hear about the speculation that he was building to a crisis on infinite earths, that he was going to bring, he was going to make Man of Steel 2, he was going to do this, he was going to do that. No, too late, too little, too late. Bullshit. Don't try and fly that up the chute like we're just supposed to believe that that was the case from the beginning. No, he had no damn plan whatsoever. And he went off the rails and pointed whatever everything in every which way direction. You know, that, that's how the Batgirl movie got into the situation it was in. And because they started fudging the timeline, that's what screwed it over. Because they were combining Keaton's Batman with the Zack Snyder's Justice League, J.K. Simmons, Commissioner Gordon. That did not make any sense as far as timeline plans. They started putting Keaton and everything instead of Atfleck, and then they were doing both. They didn't know what they, they had no idea what they were doing. And sadly, Shazam is one of those characters that just... They threw it out there, and whether it had audience appeal or not, they just let Sandberg do it, and Sandberg did a fantastic job. I thoroughly enjoyed that first film, but it is not a character that the general audience necessarily could endear itself to. But Ray, that shouldn't matter because Marvel can do this. Look what Marvel did with the Guardians of the Galaxy. Look what they did with Ant-Man. Those... Both of those groups, that they have trilogies. Ant-Man has a trilogy. The Guardians are about to have a trilogy. So clearly it can be done. Yes, you're right. It can be done. When you have an actual damn plan. When you have an established shared cinematic universe that is working and humming along and a world that is crafted with an actual point to what it is doing. Most certainly. You know where a Shazam film could have worked? It could have worked under the original plan that the first regime originally trusted Zack Snyder with. If they had done those Justice League sequels, if they had committed to the Cyborg movie back then, the Flash movie back then, what the Aquaman movie was going to be back then, which I guess you you really could say that the Aquaman movie we got was probably very close to the original Aquaman movie that we were going to get under the original plan because they really didn't, I don't think they made a ton of changes to that. That was the movie that Juan and Momoa fully stand by to this point. Totally get that, right? But if they had stuck to the original slate, if they had done what they were going to do and then decided to tell a Shazam story later in the midst of an established universe in the DCEU, it would have worked better. And you know what? Birds of Prey also would have sold better in a universe like that. A Suicide Squad sequel would have sold better in a universe like that. This is what happens when you do not have a plan. This is what happens when idiots and bunglers run the show like Toby Emmerich, Walter Hamada, and Ann Sarnoff did, like crooks, for the last number of years. This is what happens when you don't have a plan. You throw characters out there, and without a world to establish their foothold in it, this is what happens. You don't get the buzz from the general audience. That's the problem, right? So if you're, you know what? Tell you what, 
If you're going to argue that connectivity and continuity is why the general audience doesn't dig this version of Shazam, I will agree with you with respect to the previous regime. It has shit to do with what James Gunn is doing. has shit to do with what Peter Safran is doing. has nothing to do with the DCU. has everything to do with the fact that the world that Shazam inhabits in the DCEU is fractured. Absolutely fractured. And has been fractured since Walter Hamada took over in January of 2018. And now it is getting retooled, now it is getting rebuilt, now it is getting converted into the DCU. But Shazam was never a character that was ever going to be a huge draw for the general audience without an established plan for the shared cinematic universe for him to inhabit. Period. So that's why you're seeing these low tracking, as far as I'm concerned. The general audience is just not that buzzed for it. He's not Superman. He's not Batman. He's not even Wonder Woman in that regard. Those are your three heavy hitters. The Trinity are your three heavy hitters. And if you want these other smaller characters to succeed, then you have to build out a world for them to succeed in. This is why Creature Commandos and the Authority potentially can work. Because he's building a world, there is a plan, there is a structure, there is connectivity, there is something going, there is a world that they are going to inhabit, theoretically... We don't know. It still could fail as far as the DCU is concerned. But there is a world that James Gunn is attempting to build with respect to all of these characters inhabiting this universe of the DCU in that regard. You know what I mean? And as long as that is there and as long as that is being established, then there is an opportunity for Creature Commandos and the Authority to succeed because they will be connected to Superman Legacy. They will be connected to Batman Brave and the Bold. They'll be connected to Supergirl World of Tomorrow and Swamp Thing and whatever else is in the DCU. The Lantern Show, the Paradise Lost Show, all of that. There will be connectivity there. There will be a world building out. That is how it can survive. Unfortunately, Shazam, a couple years too late. If Shazam was coming, was part of the DCU plan going forward, then it would have a better shot. It would. It most certainly would have a better shot. And, and we'll see, right? Because again, we still need to see if the DCU plan is going to work. But all these excuses that people are positing for why the Shazam Fear of the Gods is tracking low... And not that it even matters that it's tracking low at this point, because didn't a whole bunch of people tell me that they didn't care about the four DC movies this year anyway, because it was all about DCU. So then what does it matter? What does this doom and gloom clickbait bullshit from the trades matter in terms of where it's tracking? Whatever. It is what it is. And again, Warner Brothers Discovery and DC Studios have made it abundantly clear, whether it is David Zaslav himself, whether it is James Gunn, whether it is Peter Safran, their number one golden goose biggest focus for any of the four movies this year is The Flash, period. The Super Bowl, the the big game spot there, the, the pointing to the Flashpoint comics, and now a six-week early screening at CinemaCon. They're putting all their eggs into the Flash basket as far as that is concerned. So Shazam, odd one out, right? And we'll see how they, you know, what they do with Blue Beetle when we get closer to that time in August. We'll see what they do with Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom, you know, depending on all the other stuff going on with potential reshoots and stuff going on with that. But no, it is what it is with respect to that. And, you know, that, that is not, that's not any intended disrespect to Zachary Levi or Asher Angel or anybody else involved in the cast and crew of Shazam. It just is what it is. It just is what it is at this point, unfortunately, right? I would like for it to do better, and maybe the general audience will actually enjoy it. Maybe it actually will do well. Maybe it'll get some good reviews. I know that people have started to see it. Brandon Davis tweeted earlier tonight that he has seen it, but social media embargo for that I don't think lifts until March 7th. I think I mentioned that uh, also on Patreon. 
we'll find out within the next week or so how everybody, you know, how the critics feel about the movie as far as social media reactions are concerned. But either way, it is what it is, guys. You know, it, it, it's really not a giant deal at this point. You know, it's not like Shazam Fear of the Gods is a make-or-break situation for DC Studios. It most certainly is not, especially since it's not a movie that Gunn and Saffron greenlit. So there you have it as far as that goes. The the DC doom and gloom between that and the Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom stuff that, you know, they, they tried to get us back on the hook for with respect to it. You know, pay it as much mind as you would anything else. Who gives a shit, to be honest with you? Here's something, though, that apparently a number of people do care about these days. It's time for a new segment that we're calling MCU Wellness Check. Yes, the beloved and enthusiastically supported Marvel Cinematic Universe is having a bit of a rough patch. And I mentioned last week about, you know, in the midst of my fervent defense of Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania that I really could not enjoy, you know, any moment of, not necessarily schadenfreude, because I'm, I'm not rooting for the demise of the Marvel Cinematic Universe by any stretch of the imagination, but I couldn't enjoy any potential humbling for the more arrogant parts of the MCU fandom that have to deal with negative press with one of their beloved ballyhooed can-do-no-wrong films in the franchise, right? However, I can observe some interesting things that are going on with respect to this, such as this tweet from the aforementioned Hollywood handle just earlier today that said, quote, Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania is tracking to have a 71.6% decline in its second domestic box office weekend. The movie is in danger of suffering the worst second weekend decline ever for a Hollywood superhero pick opening to $100 million or more at the domestic box office, and one of the worst for any such movie. Now, this was sourced from Hollywood Reporter. Was this Boris Kidd again? No, this was Pamela McClintock and Aaron Couch that wrote a, a Heat Vision. This is a Heat Vision blog post that came out uh, earlier today, this Saturday, that said, Ant-Man 3 faces record drop. Uh, if early weekend projections hold... Yeah, in danger of suffering the worst second weekend decline. So it's funny, earlier I saw a tweet talking about how it could suffer nearly as bad as BVS did, right? Because that's the, that's the mark, right? That That's the, the Ballyhooed second weekend drop-off mark that so many of these trades and everybody cares about. Oh my goodness, the second weekend decline. How awful, right? It was going to be almost as bad as that 67% drop seven years ago. Now they're saying it might be worse, it might actually worse. 30 million plus in its sophomore outing. No superhero films that are members of this club, according to The Hollywood Reporter, have fallen 70% or more. DC's Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice comes the closest at 69.1%. Okay, so a little higher than 67, whatever. Among Marvel Cinematic Universe titles, last year's Thor Love and Thunder saw Marvel's biggest decline, or 67.7%. Oh, what do you know? The actual worst film in the Marvel Cinematic Universe actually did have that bad of a second week drop-off. We were right, Dave, if you're listening to this, because he was suggesting that that was totally the case last year on Vodka Stream. And it says, and among any film starting off with $100 million or more, the final Harry Potter film, released in 2011, tops the list of biggest second weekend drops, with a decline of 72%, according to Comscore. Ant-Man 3, Ant-Man and the Lost Quantumania, Open to $120 million over the four-day President's Day weekend, including a franchise-best $105.5 million for the three days. The three-day number is used as the official comparison going forward. 
but poor word of mouth is clearly hurting the movie, along with competition from new offering Cocaine Bear, which is stealing away younger adults and especially males. A historic storm on the West Coast also isn't helping matters. Yeah, about that real quickly. Any of you live out West? Any of you living out in Los Angeles and dealing with like the blizzard conditions up in the mountains and the snowfall and all that? That's crazy. That's insane. I hope everybody out there is safe. If you are out there on the West Coast and you're listening to this, please be safe. I, I hope that the weather doesn't, you know, continue to get any trickier for you. I mean, up here in Michigan, you know, as I mentioned, you know, I, we were besieged by another ice storm. I, I brought this up on Patreon again. Uh, another ice storm, like, you know, came and hit us a couple of days ago and knocked out power to thousands in the Michigan area, like in several different counties, there are people as of the time we recording this that I think still are without power. We were fortunate enough that our power did not even flicker. Like we, we but we got lucky with that because the freezing rain was absolutely hitting hard on Wednesday. It was, it was hard enough weather wise for us that I didn't, I worked from home basically the entire rest of the week as a result of what was going on. So yeah. Um, if you're out West dealing with any of that craziness, uh, please be safe. I, I, I hope that you guys, pull through with that. But yeah, so <laughs> it's interesting to see a piece like this, you know, getting back to Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, because we're just not used to seeing this from the Marvel Cinematic Universe. We're not used to seeing this written about an MCU movie. We're not seeing, we're not used to seeing this written about a Marvel Studios piece, right? You know, and the, 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 the piece I talked about on last week's show, the big interview with Feige and the Q&A and all that, right? The, the potential damage control that the MCU might have to do as a result of this. And now here's another narrative that it, it's just very interesting, you know, to, to see now we're talking about a Marvel Cinematic Universe film having the worst second week drop of any movie. And, and of course, plenty of the MCU fans that don't like Ant-Man or the Wasp Quantumania are now going to use this as evidence, facts, they're going to call it, as, as to why this is the worst movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe's franchise history, right? That's all subjective. They can feel that way if they like. They will never convince me that that is the case. I remain unconvinced. I have my issues with the movie, but I still defend it, and I still think Thor Love and Thunder is vastly worse for a number of reasons. That being said, this does beg the question, a question that I want to ask all of you, and believe me, I can't wait to talk about this in the Hexagon. I can't wait to talk about this on Patreon, because I do think it is an intriguing question, especially for those of you who are fans of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Are we seeing the tide turn? Are we seeing the winds change? Is this the beginning, not of the end for the Marvel Cinematic Universe? It's not ending, okay? It's not like all of a sudden Kang Dynasty and Secret Wars is getting scrapped. No, that's not happening. Fantastic Four is still going to happen, okay? Guardians Volume 3 is still releasing in May, and that'll make big numbers, right? The Marvels is still going to release on November 10th, and depending on, you know, Captain Marvel did make $1.3 I know a lot of people that didn't necessarily care for that movie. It's in the lower tier of the MCU for me. However, it is still a billion-dollar earner for Marvel. We'll see what happens, especially, you know, adding Monica Rambeau and also adding, you know, Kamala Khan from the TV show that I still need to watch, right? Marvel is not in a terrible place, okay? Let's just be clear here. This is the first time that Marvel has had to deal with this level of negative press for any of its films, in the MCU, that is. But it is interesting, isn't it? It's very intriguing to see how they're going to handle this and how this is all going to go. And, you know, especially when you stack this on top of the 50-50 response at best that we've gotten from Phase 4, right? You know, it's funny. People talk to me about how 
polarizing. I still see this today, right? That that violence that I chose earlier with my Zack Snyder's Justice League post. One of the responses that I saw to Superman on film's post about the DCEU was somebody saying that they still couldn't understand how people didn't realize how polarizing the DCEU was at best. And of course, that's such a slanted misnomer of a statement to make that only encompasses the breadth of fandom itself and specifically on social media. Because if you want me to buy that the general audience is that polarized in the DCEU, I call bullshit. Massive bullshit. There's no amount of evidence you can present to me. I don't care if you know 20 people that didn't like Man of Steel or didn't like Batman v Superman Dawn of Justice and have still have no interest in watching Zack Snyder's Justice League. And it, you can even find people that prefer Justice League over that. You will still never convince me. There is no objective evidence to present to me that the DCEU was that polarizing because my evidence against you in that argument is all the money that the DCEU was making before Walter Hamada took over. And again, if we count Aquaman, right, if we count Aquaman in that in that picture, we're talking about $668 million from Man of Steel, $873.3 million from BVS, $746 million from Studio Squad, $821 million from Wonder Woman, and then, you know, the, the bomb that was Justice League, unfortunately, and then a billion plus from Aquaman, right? And then after that, Shazam, sub $400 million. Birds of Prey, just over $200 million. Wonder Woman 1984, whatever, it was coming out of the pandemic hybrid HBO Max day and date release. It started the whole day and date thing for 2021, right? It was the tail end of 2020, but still, Suicide Squad, same difference, right? Like, it just hadn't been the same since. So don't give me the shit about the DCEU being polarizing. However, with Phase 4... You know, no one talks about the possibility of that being polarizing, right? Like how polarizing that was for MCU audiences. And I'm not just talking about the general audience. I'm talking about the fans, the people that were like, oh, you know, I mentioned this in the review last week. The people that are like, we don't know where the MCU is going. They're not giving us a clear direction on what's happening with Phase 4 of the Multiverse Saga. They're all over the place. So you have that. That's been going on for the last two years with respect to Phase 4 in the MCU, and now you run into this to start Phase 5. And again, Guardians Volume 3, not worried. It's going to do, like, do gangbusters, right? They're, they're going to do what they do. The Marvels, we'll see what happens with that in November. And then you get to next year with Captain America, New World Order, Thunderbolts, and all that stuff, right? It, there is no, there's no scent of death on the Marvel Cinematic Universe or Marvel Studios whatsoever. Their multiverse saga plan will continue going forward. But it is interesting to see them finally deal with negative press. It is interesting to see them finally deal with a negative perception, with critics calling their films bloated, with critics not digging the humor, with fans not really appreciating the jokes and the humor that have bothered a lot of us for the last number of years. Now all of a sudden the chickens are kind of coming home to roost and maybe it is getting a little old for them. Maybe it is they're getting a little long in the tooth for that. Maybe they do actually want a change instead of the old you know, reliable that they've had over the last 15 plus years from Marvel Studios. Perhaps. Just maybe so. I don't know. It'll be, it's a very interesting thing to watch. And, and you know, I, I sit here from my DC fan perch, if you will, and I certainly do not have a, I don't do the pretentious bird laugh, right? The, the shit that I was talking about with the pretentious MCU fans last week. No, I don't do that. Because again, I'm not wishing for failure, on the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I most certainly am not. I don't want that to happen. I enjoy the MCU. 
So I don't look at any of these, like these negative reviews. I mean, listen to my review of Quantumania last week. I don't agree with the negative reviews. And I certainly don't agree with the people that believe that this is the worst MCU film ever made. I do not believe that. You will not convince me of that fact, subjectively speaking. But by the same token, the idea that this is the the, the negativity, this is the most negativity that the Marvel Cinematic Universe has had to deal with in a while. And this VFX stuff keeps coming up. Yeah, I did. this was Dave brought this up on Vodka Stream last night as well. The and I, I did see this story about how the visual effects for Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumania were rushed again. So another case of impossible deadlines. Another case of you know eleventh hour and not having enough manpower and just more VFX strife happening at Marvel Studios. And this has been a problem for them for a minute. You saw all the stuff that came out last year, all the horror stories that came from the VFX artists and from the houses talking about the very unreasonable demands that Disney and Marvel Studios were impressing upon them and how it was destroying their psyches and how it just was not a a tenable place for them to work in you know, not a good environment, a toxic environment, if you will, in the workplace for them to deal with all of this shit. And now it looks like Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumania, also fell victim to that. Now, I don't think that the visual effects for that film are anywhere near as bad, as I said before. Not anywhere near as bad as the third act of Black Panther or some of the other MCU shows or you know the stuff that I've seen. But by the same token, for Marvel Studios to continue to have a VFX house problem in terms of the labor and in terms of how they're treating their employees, that's an issue. That That is a continued issue that Kevin Feige and company, you know, Victoria Alonso, Louis D'Esposito, they're going to have to figure that out. They are. They can't just ignore that. There's a lot of shit that they, that they need to figure it out. And it's just intriguing, right? That I'm not, I'm not saying, I'm not taking a victory lap. I'm not smoking a cigar. I'm not wearing sunglasses. I'm eating popcorn. I'm eating popcorn as I observe how Marvel Studios reacts to this. And what they do. And then I'm eating further popcorn as I see what happens, you know, because I'm now hearing more people, more than just my boss at work. I'm hearing more people say that perhaps this is the beginning of the perceptual tide turning between Marvel and DC. For the last 10 years, we have taken it on the chin as DC fans and about how we're chasing Marvel. We're trying to catch up to Marvel. Marvel is the gold standard. They are the ones that we have to aspire to. We will never win that race, right? And now all of a sudden, now all of a sudden, all the bad headlines, right? Yeah, Because even with the DC doom and gloom, that's still not anything that Gunn and Saffron have greenlit. That's still the older movies, right? That's still Shazam, Fear of the Gods. That's still Aquaman and the Lost Kingdom. This is stuff that they didn't greenlight, right? But even with all those old headlines, there's still the hype for The Flash from that big spot trailer, that big game trailer. There's still the hype for that movie, and there's still the intriguing possibilities of DCU Chapter 1 Gods and Monsters Slate, and also this comic book synergy that James Gunn has been promoting and that they've really been pushing, which is another one of the tweets that he just posted today that I'll get to here in a second with his Twitter watch. But, like, you know, there's more positive news at this point in time as I record this episode on Saturday, February 25th, 2023. There's more positive news about DC Studios right now than there is about Marvel Studios. That's never happened. Not just because DC Studios has only existed for four months, but also, perception-wise, it's always been kind of the latter. It has always seemed like the other end of that, right? Like, DC's always gotten the short end of the stick. And now, if, if, if maybe it's only for this movie. Maybe, you know, this only lasts until the marketing push for Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 starts. But at least for now, it is intriguing, isn't it? 
to just see the shoe be on the other foot for just a while. So that's my question to you guys. Do you think, do you believe that the tide is turning? Do you think that we might actually be seeing the start of a perception shift between Marvel and DC? This isn't a tribalist question because, again, it's okay to like them all, and I do like them all, and I like both of these, but I observe the same things that you observe in terms of what the trades do and what the scoopers do and how the fans react to any news about either of these franchises. And it just seems real interesting to me that we had at least a week and maybe a little bit longer of Twilight Zone, where DC was getting the good headlines and still is largely getting the good headlines. Because again, the bad headlines, the doom and gloom that we got was from the, is from the DCEU, and they're making a distinction. This isn't on Gun and Saffron. This is on the previous regime and all that, right? They're making that distinction. Even those bad headlines, you know, still pale in comparison to the hype from the Flash trailer and the hype from, you know, those that are excited to see where, you know, what Superman Legacy is going to be like, what Batman Brave and the Bold is going to be like, the, the possibility of James Mangold directing the Swamp Thing movie, right? Like Supergirl, Woman of Tomorrow being adapted and whether or not it's going to be Sasha Kaye and that type of deal. There's still more positivity around DC Studios at this point in time than there is right now around Marvel Studios who's gone through a 50-50 phase four with the audience and the fans that they're not 100% on, and now a torched Marvel Cinematic Universe film, a torched phase five film in Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. We can say it's being torched. We can. For once, we can say that an MCU film is being torched by fans and critics. It's crazy. It's weird. It's uncharted territory for all of us. It's Twilight Zone in many ways for us DC fans. But it's here. It exists. And is it the beginning? Or is it just a momentary blip? Is it the first big blip for the MCU? And that's all it is. And it'll correct itself later on, right? Or is it the beginning of the tide shifting? As far as perception goes. Again, the MCU is not dying. And DC Studios is going to do what it does. But do you think this is the start of a turn, or is it just a momentary lapse? I'm curious about that. Let me know, and, and we'll certainly rap about that on the Hexagon for sure, among other things, no doubt about it. You know where to find me on Twitter at the Flightcast, and of course, I can be reached by email at ray at theflightcast.com. I normally say that at the end of the show, and I will say it again at the end of the show, but not just yet. Because it is now time for our weekly check on James Gunn's Twitter account, and we're going to do things differently going forward with respect to this because I don't need to read all his tweets. You know, I don't need to spend the better part of an hour going through James Gunn's Twitter account for a week. We're just going to highlight some big ones that would be of interest to us. I mean, all the dog stuff and the pet stuff is cool. And if there's another case where he posts a picture of his pets and it leads to somebody asking him a question about Marvel or DC that he gives a you know, informational answer to, then yes, absolutely, we'll, we'll cover that. But as far as all the genuine, you know, goofy stuff here and there, you know, it, it is what it is. You know, Gunn is very active on Twitter. He responds to a lot of different people. Cool. We'll just focus on the stuff that would be of interest to us. And we'll start here with February 24th. He's gone back to posting images. And on February 24th, he posted an image of the authority with hashtag the authority. And I don't know a whole lot about the authority. The only thing I know about the authority is apparently this is where Manchester Black comes from, right? He's got a connection to this group. It's also where Apollo and Midnight are come from, the the, the the gay couple that are basically the, the amalgamations or the, the, the allegories, if you will, for Batman and Superman if they were in a gay relationship in that regard, right? 
like uh, Apollo being Superman and Midnighter being Batman. All right. Intrigued, very interested, you know, as far as like what the story is going to be, especially the idea of heroes who, you know, the, the few good men like comparison, you know, that, that they think that they're Colonel Nathan Jessup, Jack Nicholson's character, which is funny. I know his name in the movie and I've never seen that movie all the way through, but I have seen the scene, you know, I want the truth. You can't handle the truth. You want me on that wall. You need me on that wall and paraphrasing the whole scene. But that was the, that, that was the amalgamation. That was the example that was given to explain how, the authority operates. And so it'll be interesting that the gray area characters that work in the gray area and aren't just textbook good or bad, you know, in a linear sense, that is very intriguing. And when Gunn said that he was going to bring that into the DCU, that that absolutely, you know, gives me great interest with respect to what he's going to do with this particular franchise and the direction he's going to take and not making everything seem so this or that up or down, black or white, left or right in that regard. Right. But he posted that image on the 24th, and he got a, a quote tweet from at SLV, who asked, Sir, I'm excited. Any news for Creature Commandos? Because I'm really curious with the thinking emoji. And Gunn responded, starting production, almost done casting. Now, one wonders if, you know, almost done casting production, of course, we knew it started. But one wonders, you know, that Frank Grillo Instagram post from before, you know, was he talking about Creature Commandos? Seems like the most logical choice. I know that people threw Deathstroke out there, and it's it's one of those where you you get into fan casting mode, and it's like, oh well, what does he look like? Who could he potentially play based on what we've seen him play? And it's like, okay, fine, Deathstroke. But come on, it it makes more sense to align it with current projects that we know have been announced for the future of the DCU. Creature Commandos is the first one that just makes all the sense in the world in that regard. But almost done casting, so. That'll be interesting, but this got misconstrued, of course, because there was an individual that posted, and it, this the tweet was deleted by the author, but Gunn just responded, this was answering a question about creature commandos, not authority, because I guess somebody thought that he was talking about the authority and didn't notice that it was a quote tweet asking about creature commandos, so misdirection as far as that goes with respect to that. Gunn, of course, continues to salute the comic creators. He found an old tweet from Marv Wolfman that was posted on Valentine's Day 2020. And it simply said, hi, this is Marv Wolfman. And Gunn quote tweeted that just a number of hours ago earlier today with the crown emoji. King, obviously. Uh, he is a Marv Wolfman fan. He's a fan of a number of the comic creators. But this... You know, this is part of that PR that I've talked about, you know, and, and especially with this newfound synergy between the movie division, you know, the, the media division, the, 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 the visual, you know, the, the movies and television division, for lack of a better way to flip and put it, you know, connected to the source material and connected to the creatives, something that both Marvel and DC should be doing. Marvel still really hasn't done it yet. But DC is starting to do it, and this is just part of that, you know, interacting with creatives and highlighting creatives' work, especially when it connects to a project that we're, has been announced for the DCU. This is cool, this synergy, and, and seeing more of Gunn acknowledging the creatives that he really appreciates from the source material moving forward. That is awesome, uh, especially when he when he respects them like that, you know, tweeting the king emoji for Marv Wolfman. I know a ton of comic fans, a number of you, Probably 100% agree with that, no doubt about it. I've only read one Marv Wolfman story, and that is Crisis on Infinite Earths. I did read that. Um, but here, how about this? 
This is a big one. And I, I haven't responded to this tweet yet. I thought about it. But James Gunn earlier today, earlier this Saturday, decided to post a question for individuals. And he, he has a, 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 it's a frame. I'm guessing this is Clark Kent talking to, yeah, it's got to be Clark and Martha. And they're on it. They're sitting on a, a park bench. I don't know who, I don't know what this is. I'm sure Scott or somebody else knows what book this is from. But it's Clark and his mother, Martha, having a discussion. And Martha says, remember, you can do anything you set your mind to as long as you believe in it with all your heart. And he says, I will, Ma. And it's a heartfelt scene, but Gunn posted this. He tweeted this with the question, what's your favorite hashtag Superman comic? And he tagged at DC Comics, the actual DC Comics Twitter account. And they responded to him in his thread with a great answer. They said, that's like trying to choose a favorite child. And to be honest, we weren't ready for that kind of pressure on a Saturday. Can we have, counts on fingers, 100 favorites? Actually, wait, 105. No, 110. We'll get back to you. And tons of answers came in on this, you know. And 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 for me, you know, I, my answer. Listen, it's it's a very you know constricted answer because again, really the only Superman that I have read to this point so far, because I haven't done the dive into the DCU stuff yet. I've only really read Dan Jurgens, you know, his run, you know, specifically the Death of Superman and World Without a Superman. I still haven't read the Return which is one of the books that Scott did send me. He sent me The Return. But weirdly enough, I haven't read The Return of Superman. I've read The Death of Superman. I've read World Without a Superman slash Funeral for a Friend. And I've read Hunter Prey. I've even read that book. I've re- That is all the Dan Jurgen Superman that I've read from that era. Somehow I skipped over The Return of Superman. I, and I need to read that. I most certainly need to read that part. But the other Dan Jurgen Superman that I have also read was the first 30 issues of his Action Comics Rebirth run, which I really liked. And when I found out it was him, I was like, oh, that's why I really like it. Because I really li- I'm a fan of Dan Jurgens. I, I This is something that I discovered... Uh, when we reviewed, we talked about Action Comics 1000 on Fans Without Borders over at DC's uh, uh, comic, uh, Squadcast Media, rather, pardon me, uh, some years ago when me and Brent were still doing the show. And that was when I discovered, yeah, I, he's my favorite Superman writer. Now, aside from Peter Tomasi's 30 or so issues, first 30 or so issues of Superman Rebirth, he's the only, Jurgens is the only Superman writer I've read to this point, so... He's really the only way that I can answer the question at this point in time in terms of, but, but as far as comic, man, I don't know that that is a tough one because, you know, in individual comics, I mean, world without a Superman funeral for a friend was, was a great run. I did enjoy that run for what it was, you know, Superman. I mean, the, the, the death of Superman was, that was a, a crazy run to be honest with you. And, and, you know, I, I've never done a real deep dive into that, but I, I think right now I'd, I'd probably say, you know, I'd probably say World Without Superman at this point. Now, that answer is subject to change when I read other Superman comics and, and certainly when I read, you know, even The Return of Superman. I'll probably find a comic or a run in there that I really enjoy even more than World Without a Superman slash Funeral for a Friend. But some of these answers that Gunn responded to with respect to his favorite Superman comic question, Adam Grunther said, Whatever happened to The Man of Tomorrow? Uh, which was written by Alan Moore and Kurt Swan. And Gunn said that old gold kryptonite was his response to that. So that was kind of cool. And, and I mean, so many responses to this. And of course you tweet a question like that. You're expecting to get mass, a, a mass number of responses, right? Uh, some Samir Naliatano or Naliato, I guess 
uh, responded, for the man who has everything. And Gunn said, love that one too. Now, I know about this story. I know about for the man who has everything because I believe, was there an adaptation of this in the animateds? I believe there was, if I'm not mistaken. But I'm also aware of this story because it's been referenced a number of times and, and, and the the Black Mercy has been used as a de- plot device in the, I think in the animated series and, and also in, in Krypton, amazingly. Like, there... This has been done before. It's also been done in Supergirl, if I'm not mistaken. So I am familiar with the story. I just have not read it yet. I will have to read it at some point for sure. But that was the biggest thing uh, as far as James Gunn's Twitter account for this particular week. As far as anything, you know, any, any big news, anything that was intriguing for us. The only other thing he tweeted with respect to like Guardians of the Galaxy 3, there was Bethany Black who tweeted, been thinking of my Guardians of the Galaxy 3 playlist and two songs I am 100% that will be on the soundtrack. We're not going to take it by Twisted Sister and Come Sail Away by Styx. Am I right? At James Gunn, with two question marks. And he responded, I'd lower that percentage. Eh, well, hey, you know what? She took her shot. It is what it is. But yeah, I'd lower the percentage. It's, it's, it's not 100%. And it's probably lower. It sounds like closer to zero with respect to that. Uh, but either way, he also had a tweet. He, uh, apparently he was at, I don't know, this is what press event this was with Sean Gunn, Pom Clementif and Chuck, Chuck Woody Iwuji, who was in the peacemaker. And he's also playing the high evolutionary in guardians volume three. Uh, we've already seen him. <laughs> he was dressed up as the character for hall H and comic-con last year. We've seen him in the most recent trailer. And, um, you know, I guess they were at some type of, press junket or some type of event, but he just tweet, he just tweeted great seeing these guys again or great seeing these guys yesterday on the 22nd for that. So yeah, not a ton with respect to that, but again, the comic synergy stuff, as far as, you know, pointing to Marv Wolfman, asking people, you know, getting fan engagement, asking for your favorite Superman comics and just this reverence that James Gunn is absolutely pointing to with the source material is definitely something that is endearing him to a good amount of fans, right? You know, whether you are a fan of his film work or not, if you're a fan of the original DC Comics lore, then he's definitely appealing to you on some level in that regard. And that is just a different level of PR than we are used to with any of the heads of DC films, because this is not what Walter Hamada did. This is not what Toby Emmerich or any of the previous heads of DC films ever did. So something to be said for that, no doubt about it. The good stuff from James Gunn's Twitter PR, no doubt. And that'll do it for this particular episode of the Flightcast. Thank you so much for listening to this show. We're getting back to the Saturday-Sunday schedule. This episode is going to come out on a late Saturday, and then we will have the Hexagon feedback show. It will not be skipped. We will have a full-blown Hexagon episode coming out tomorrow on Sunday. Get all your questions in as quickly as possible. I'm sure a number of you have... I've got all your emails from the previous ones and we're fix it. Barry screwed with the timeline. That whole Super Bowl thing, Barry Allen screwed with the timeline. Damn it, Barry. But we're going to get back on track. I'm going to answer all of it. Some of you have sent multiple emails with respect to your responses to Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania and your reactions to that as well. In addition to watch updates and stuff from before. So we will cover all of that in the next episode of the Hexagon on Sunday. And of course, you know where to find me on Twitter at the Flightcast, and of course I can be reached by email at ray at the flightcast.com. Thank you so much as always for your patience, for your patronage, and for your willingness to listen to my nerdy ramblings about 
movies, TV, and other assorted media. All right, take care, stay safe out there, and I will see you all next time. Take it easy. Thank you.